I'm Duncan Jarvis and I'm at Evidence Live 2016, a conference about the process of making, using and communicating medical evidence, jointly run by the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford and the BMJ. After one session on communicating evidence, I spoke to two of the speakers. Firstly, Victor Montori, who's a clinician and a patient participation guru at the Mayo Clinic, and Julia Blues, health correspondent for Vox, which is a really successful online news site. So I think maybe if we start this, um, Victor, by you, you introduced the concept of a... Uh, diagnostic conversation which I don't think I've um, come across before in the in the way that you sort of speak about it uh, where you work out the information need of a, of a patient and can go through that so could you just sort of illustrate for us what what that means um, yeah the diagnostic conversation is a iterative uh, recursive process by which um, patients and clinicians work uh, hard to uh, clarify um, and understand what the patient situation is, um, what aspect of it, it requires action. Um, and uh, we like the words uh, that describe this process as uh, thinking through, talking through, and feeling through that situation until uh, it becomes clear what, what aspect of the situation requires action. And then uh, we switch gears and look at what are the alternative actions that may be available uh, to address the patient situation, to identify which of those best uh, response uh, to the demands of the situation. Um, it's interesting that the process is iterative, that it means that we, we repeat it, because in understanding what the options uh, are that may address the patient situation, we may discover aspects of the situation we may not have considered uh, early on, or that perhaps the situation needs to be reframed completely, given that the options available are completely unacceptable. Um, that process uh, takes time and, as you say, requires particular kinds of information. Um, for instance, the kinds that may uh, let patients know what are the relevant differences between the alternatives available to them. Some of them are related to outcomes uh, and some are related on practical issues of how they will affect their daily lives, how it will affect their ability to work and, and have fun and so forth. Um, and this information needs to be made personal, needs to be made applicable to the situation of the patient, to their context, to their life. Uh, it cannot be generic. Uh, and in discussing it, the clinician has to carefully listen to the reasons people have for opting one way or the other uh, to identify then what is a reasonable way forward uh, together. Mm. So you're talking about there's someone with a particular information need and it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Now, Julia, you're in the same uh, session talking about communication of evidence. And for a journalist, that's very different. You're not talking about... Uh, individuals, you're talking about a, a whole readership, mm -hmm. um, and these people might not have a sort of dog in the fight about this particular, you know, bit of evidence that you're communicating. So, um, could you give us a flavour of of you know what you do and and what other journalists do to kind of work out what information to impart and 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 know what what your readers actually want right so f so for us it's not just thinking about yeah are we accurately conveying the information and is this clear and are we telling a good story we're also thinking about you know is this going to be of interest to people in an online environment um, everything you do is highly measured and you know right away whether you wrote something that no one read and didn't resonate with anyone and so there's a lot of pressure to tell stories that people are actually going to read and that are going to move through 
um, various media platforms and um, be read very widely and broadly. And the framework that I use for looking at um, research evidence is kind of a public health cost benefits um, risk trade-offs. And so I usually try, I wrote a story recently about um, uh, stem cell therapy for MS, and it's something that's been kind of researched over the last several decades, and now we're really seeing clinical impact. And it's a place where there is a lot of desperation for patients. There's not, you know, if you have a really um, severe form of MS, you don't have many alternatives. And um, But there's massive um, harms related to this therapy. So, And it's also expensive, although in the U.S. MS drugs are very expensive. But um, trying to, so trying to communicate, you know, yes, there, there is this minority of patients in clinical trials who have had a lot of success with this therapy, but they're also, you know, they went through chemo. They had their um, immune systems completely wiped out, and that means that they're very sensitive to infections now and that they can't have children, and like there, there are huge costs, personal costs associated with that. So that's the framework that I'm usually um, looking at interventions and evidence through. Mm. And I think you're not singular, but you're you're an outlier in the way that um, reporting of evidence gets done in newspapers, um, and and that level of, of sort of scrutiny or, or process isn't always there for other people. I think, yeah, especially if you're you're particularly chasing clicks. Right. Yeah, I think there are a lot of reporters who are conscientious about it, but it's probably more in the full-time medical health um, or science reporter field. And then there's a lot of, the reality is, yeah, newsrooms are under um, a real financial stress right now. And some people are covering the courts in the morning and then a health story in the afternoon, and they might just not have the background knowledge. So it's really tricky. And yet our stories can have such a massive impact on decisions people make about their bodies. And then even, you know, in Canada, we had another MS example where there was um, a lot of public pressure on um, policymakers to fund a therapy that was like absolutely bogus. It was an overhyped intervention by this one doctor who had bad evidence, but um, it ended up, so it ended up moving policymakers down a kind of useless road. So yeah, a lot of impact and um, but we have to do better. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, given the, the two sort of competing uh, paradigms you have there, one, uh, how compatible are they? The evidence needs of a patient as opposed to the evidence needs of a reader, they seem to be, to me, pulling in, in slightly opposite directions. Do you have a feeling about how we can, we can move um, that together? <laughs> I think we can, right? I think I think we can. I think uh, you know work like what Julia and Vox do of long form discussion about uh, what is at stake um, tend to create interest, but also moderate expectations or right size them to some extent. Um, that interest might be enough to have some people. Uh, pass on the story to a patient whose clinician may not have heard about the advance or, or may have uh, may have only uh, uh, some inklings and and as the patient brings it to the consultation they can have 
I think, of a, a, a deliberative conversation, a diagnostic conversation about whether this is something that addresses the patient's situation. Even if it is, for instance, the patient participating in a clinical trial that furthers the evidence about the, the, the um, I think we can easily imagine the, the, the situation where the, the click chasing you describe or, the, um, or just a reproduction of a, of a press release from very excited researchers or research institutions mm -hmm. might lead to uh, creating an expectation that not only is this treatment better than expected, um, not only is it um, uh, safer than expected, but it's also something you should, that is available to you wherever you are. And now you have patients demanding those treatments uh, from clinicians and, and uh, interpreting their clinicians' reluctance as either ignorance or, or lack of commitment to their care. So you can clearly see that what Julie was describing as potential downstream harms from, from work that's not well done, and that's why it makes work like what Julia does so essential uh, to then create the, the environment for the work that I'm proposing needs to happen in the, in the clinical encounter. Mm. Um, Julia, is, is that fair? Is that a Absolutely, yeah. I was just going to say, Vox has been really successful doing this kind of in-depth, um, proper analysis of it. And do you think there is an appetite out there amongst people for this, you know, properly well done, informative uh, reporting? Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this in the talk, but um, some of those evidence review stories that show me the evidence that we've done have been among the most popular I've ever published on the site so millions of people reached and that doesn't include the people that were reached through YouTube or Snapchat um, so this different t platforms and I think people are smart and I think there's a lot of people who are really confused and they don't know they see the flip-flopping headlines about coffee's good for you one day and it's bad the next and they want something that makes sense of it all and brings it together and um, so I think there is an appetite and on the web you can find these people and target them and you know have niche audiences and um, build a community around that in a way that was more difficult when you just had a broadsheet you know a newspaper published in the morning and you had to fit everything into this limited real estate um, that was shipped off at 5 p.m. the day before so I think there's more space and there's more um, potential for connection and building communities. I think the challenge is reaching the people who you might, who aren't already nerds. So how do you, f you know, how do you reach the, sorry to keep talking about the Daily Mail, but how do you reach the, the readers of these other publications that might not be as open to um, being science-minded mm. about health? Yeah, and um, in that talk you, you introduced us to Maria Luisa, who is a, a patient who perhaps doesn't want to engage with information and engage with um, evidence in a way and, and as a clinician you have to kind of you know get that not necessarily that interest but sort of you know take her on that journey um, do you have any way that you you do that do you think do you have any sort of tips for yeah that? well so uh, first is to recognize that it's um, a, although loneliness is increasingly a problem um, most patients don't live uh, in a vacuum and uh, they they have a, a bit of a, of a village around them and uh, and so some of the ways of the for instance Julia reports may not reach those patients that may not be directly interested in it but it may reach their the village and the village might actually bring the information up and so often in my consultations patients come with a family 
family member, and the family member has the the newspaper cutouts or the printouts from the web or other things. And I don't get annoyed like some people, some of my colleagues might be, because um, you know you work so hard to have patients participate in their care, and here they are trying their best. You know, by bringing information, people sometimes get castigated for doing that instead of being congratulated and, and encouraged, and perhaps at that point being directed to better sources of information that are more reliable. So that's the first thing, is to make sure that they, they have adequate inf access to information. Um, the second bit, of course, is how do you create a, a safe space for the discussion of information in which patients are not going to feel ridiculed by asking dumb questions, um, or that they're wasting the doctor's time, or that, um, that they should just stay with the doctor's agenda for the visit. And we've encountered in our workshops to help patients get the best out of their encounter, we've encountered patients that, we found patients that will object to bring up issues because they don't want to offend the doctor or, 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 or waste doctor's time. And it's, it takes a, quite a bit of effort to reframe that, to say, no, this is visit is about you. It's not about your doctor. And then finally, um, I don't know that patients don't want to engage with information. I, that hasn't been my experience. If the information is not, used, is not delivered as a form of punishment or abuse, where I'm going to start using all sorts of jargon, delivering at high speed, I'm basically communicating to the patient, this is above your head. The, you don't understand it, right? Well, that's exactly the case. Leave it up to me. And now it's an exercise in power. And now I get to tell you what to do. And, and that's, that's just not what I think uh, care is about. So it is really, if you're going to engage in information sharing, make sure you have the right tools, the right ways, the right language that, that, that invites the patient to the content and to engage with the content, to find it interesting enough, to find applicable to their situation enough that they would like to learn more. I think that's what great journalists do when they're writing these stories. And that's what we have to do in the encounter in order to engage patients uh, in something that may look like and may feel like shared decision making. Mm. And just to flip this round slightly, uh, it seems like that sort of diagnostic conversation is actually similar to the one that should be going on between researchers and journalists, where you're kind of working around, um, working out, you know, researchers should work out what journalists' information needs are, and, and journalists should work out, you know, that, that sort of backwards and forwards. And it seems like that is something that you are adept at doing. Um, have you got any advice for, for people about how to, to do that? I think we, in the media arena, there's not as much awareness about the incredible tools the evidence-based medicine community has built up. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many people even know what Co Cochrane reviews are um, with their wonderful plain language summaries. And of course, they're not perfect. And I know there are discussions about <laughs> yeah, getting, um, you know, raw data from regulators and building those up. But even just the tools you are, we already have, however imperfect they are, having more awareness, um, I think is really, would, would just be one big step instead of scrambling to build more. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's promote, basically self-promoting all the work the evidence-based medicine community has done to reach journalists and reach patients even before we think about um, building more. Mm. To your point, I think in the past we've talked about how shared decision-making is to the clinical encounter, what democracy is for society at large. And in, in, in a way, having clear 
access to complete information that is transparent and useful, allows people to make better decisions, better choices, either it is for your own sake or for the sake of your society you're trying to build. Um, I've, I've mentioned this analogy in class once uh, back, in, back in my institution, and uh, one of my students who, was, uh, who came from another country pointed out that, uh, that she agreed with the example because she comes from a country where there is no democracy, and she found that the, that model of society permeated all the way to the clinical encounters where she couldn't imagine the shared decision-making ever taking place. So it works in both ways, you know, a, a society in which uh, citizens feel that they can participate in public discourse because they have access to adequate information and the opportunity to form their own ideas about what the situation is and what actions are required to address it uh, could potentially then exercise the same muscles when it comes to their own sake in the consultation, understanding what their situation is and what actions are required uh, to address it and choose, choosing from those, selecting from those, identifying from those with the careful and kind guidance of their clinician the one that best addresses the situation.